Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Miss Redacted. And I'm Mrs. Frazzled. Every week we explore the teacher exodus to find out what, if anything, could get these educators back in the classroom. We've all had our moments where we thought, what the hell am I doing here? From burnout to bureaucracy to soul-sucking stressors and creative dead ends. From recognizing when it was time to go to navigating feelings of guilt and regret afterwards, we're here to cut out the gaslighting and get real about what it means to leave teaching. We've got insights from former teachers from all over the country who have seen it all. So get ready to be disturbed. Join us on Teacher Quit talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of the Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Дамы и господа, добро пожаловать в Prevail. Это второй сезон нашей борьбы с криминальными сволочами. Ваш ведущий Грег Олиар. I'm Greg Oliar. This is Prevail. Welcome to the program. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp online therapy for 10% off your first month go to betterhelp.com slash greg start living a better life today we've got a great show the journalist and author most recently of virus vaccinations the cdc and the hijacking of america's response to the pandemic nina burley is here her book is out in paperback i think this week with a new chapter expanded stuff even though we didn't talk about it at all. We didn't talk about viruses. We didn't talk about the CDC. We didn't talk about monkeypox. So this is a monkeypox-free episode. We're, we're free of monkeypox. You are not going to get monkeypox listening to this episode. If you do get monkeypox listening to this episode, it is not the fault of the episode. We'll leave it at that. I wanted to have Nina on because she wrote this great piece called Right Wing Extremists Are Making Dystopian Fiction Come True. Can Democrats craft a winning message off a smorgasbord of misogynist madness? And she provides this sort of survey of all this scary, misogynist, patriarchy, revenge crap that's gone on in the last, you know, couple of decades. Great piece, really strong. And I wanted to have her on and talk about lots of the different things that she brings up. So we get into that a lot. Good discussion. You know, we talk about gender roles and all that kind of stuff and how they've changed, how they've evolved, how they continue to evolve, you know, and everybody's kind of dealing with it in their own way, his or her own way, his, her, their own way. Anyway, so that's, that was a fun conversation. Interestingly, we recorded it before Kansas. And I think, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I, I felt very hopeful learning about the result of the, the referendum vote in Kansas, where they overwhelmingly voted to preserve women's rights. You know, the abortion rights, the right to an abortion, 
and they sided with science and medicine and common sense and social responsibility and kindness instead of whatever it is Sam Alito and his scumbags are selling. So good on you, Kansas. Great job getting out the vote. If this is a harbinger of things to come, Kansas, obviously a red state. It looks good for us in the midterms if we can figure out how to get people to understand that voting for Republicans in any office, anywhere, up or down the ballot, is voting for fascism, is voting against women's rights, is voting against gay rights, is voting against trans rights, all of this stuff. It's just voting against voting against condoms and contraception, for God's sake. So hopefully we can build on this, learn from it, not overthink it, you know, and just get out there and crush it in November and, you know, preserve what we have, maybe expand the Senate, and then we can really get some shit done, which would be nice. This is the penultimate episode of season three. Next week is the finale of season three, and then I'm taking three weeks off from content creation of any kind. No podcast, no column, no 5-8 show during that three-week period of time. Probably no appearances anywhere, and I'm going to really try my hardest not even to tweet. Not even to tweet. I'm going to try to recharge my batteries. I have some things in the works that I'm working on, and I need to step away in order to come back stronger than ever after Labor Day. It's going to be good. Um, Alex Jones, though, today, right? <laughs> it's really... This guy is such a jerk. I mean, he's... I, I wrote a piece this week about how Republicans are assholes, and that's it. That's their social platform. Their party plank is just... We want to be enormous assholes in any way. You know, whatever the, whatever the, the, the issue is, they ask... What would an asshole do? And then they do that thing. That's basically what the Republican Party does now in 2022. It didn't always used to be this way, but this is what it has become. Alex Jones is an exemplar of that. He's just a, just a shit awful human being, just a failed human, just, just an awful, awful, awful person. And he got sued for, you know, the Sandy Hook thing. He lost. And now he's in a courtroom in Texas and they're trying to determine in this hearing how much money he's going to have to give the victims, the Sandy Hook victims who've sued him. And of course, he's trying to claim poverty and all this kind of stuff. And today it came out that uh, his lawyer, who obviously graduated from the Four Seasons Total Landscaping School of Law, inadvertently gave the Sandy Hook lawyer all of the contents of his text messages and emails going back two years and... I'm no math major, but I'm pretty sure that the that January 6th happened in that two-year period of time. So I don't know how many texts were there and emails, but my God, if this conspiracy, the, the, the <laughs> this J6 coup plotter thing, you know, they've deleted all their texts. Anybody that was involved has obviously deleted all their texts. That's why, you know, these, these Homeland Security, this acting Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf. And these guys, oh, I don't know where the texts went. They're all gone. Yeah, we know why they're gone, because you deleted them, because it's a cover-up, okay? If they got rid of all these texts and Alex Jones didn't, <laughs> I tell you, you know, people have been complaining about the writing on, on this, this season of uh, America 2022. But man, that's a good twist. If this Alex Jones lawyer uh, brain fart winds up taking down the entire operation here. 
I just think my faith in total humanity would have been restored. And, you know, it might even be proof of a just and benevolent God. <laughs> so we'll see what's going to happen. J6 committee has already requested this information. And um, spoiler alert. Yeah, I think they're going to get it. So we'll see, Alex Jones. We'll see. It was really kind of fun. I don't like watching him, but I did watch him when he found out <laughs> that they had this stuff. Boy, oh boy, he didn't like it. He he sounded like a child who had been caught, you know. I, I hate to use the hand in the cookie jar analogy, but oh boy, we know that you stole the cookies, Alex, because you texted about it, you emailed about it, and you've got, you know, chocolate chips all over your fucking face. So yeah, that's it. So that's going to be something to look out for. Kansas, I think, is very hopeful. I don't know. Maybe stuff is ticking up. Maybe stuff is getting better. I hope so. That would be nice. Yeah, that would be nice. You know? You know what? We deserve it. We're due. We're due for some good stuff to happen. That's what I say. Anyway, enough of my prattle. We'll be right back with Nina Burley. I know what you're thinking about Live Golf, the new golf tour funded by the Saudi royal family. Sure, it's sweet that so many golf gods like me are getting paid insane amounts of money to play golf, but what about the moms? What about the kids? Hi, I'm Phil Mickelson, and I'm here to tell you about the latest fairway fun from MBS and Friends. Live Golf Kingdom. Live Golf Kingdom is great for the whole family. At Live Golf Kingdom, our driving ranges are world class. Even the ladies can tee it up and take a few whacks, although the gals have to use the irons because the Saudis don't like it when women drive. At Live Golf Kingdom, we have the best mini golf courses on the planet. Navigate your ball through the dismembered Jamal Khashoggi body parts on the third hole, and you get a free Live Golf bone saw. If you hit the top of the scale model of the World Trade Center with the special 9-11 ball, the replica twin towers collapse into a pile of rubble, and you win a Live Golf Center box cutter. And get this, if you get a hole-in-one on the 18th hole, you literally strike oil. The kids love it. Between the golf, the sword dancing, and the orb fondling, Live Golf Kingdom really does have it all. So come on down to Live Golf Kingdom, or else the crown prince will have you beheaded. <laughs> Just kidding. He only does that to civil rights activists, dissident journalists, and gays. And now, back to the show. Nina Burley. Welcome back to the Prevail Podcast. Thank you so much, Greg. It's nice to see you. How has your summer been? What have you been up to? Summer has been pretty good, I must say. Um, you know, I'm down here a little bit, a little bit west of where you are in upstate New York. It's green. It's been a good summer. Weatherwise, I had 20 days in Europe on, a, on an assignment. That was interesting. Roe Row was overturned while I was over there, and then there was one of the mass shootings. And um, it's interesting to see that from afar in some ways, because the Europeans, first of all, are just, they're like, well, aren't you afraid to go back? You know, they're just so alarmed. And, and you know, yeah, looking at it from outside, it looks insane. And then I got back and, you know, it's like, eh, back in the asylum. It's not, <laughs> it's insane, but it's not the, you don't get that same, you know, the feeling that, that people looking at it from the outside. I mean, maybe they have a better sense of the emergency that we're in. But uh, anyway, back. Loved it. Happy to be back here. Happy to be home. 
I got back around the 4th of July and um, what have I been doing? I've been, I'm working on a piece for New York Magazine on Ivana Trump. Oh, I've heard of her. You have heard of her. And, yeah. um, and I wrote a piece, you know, every once in a while I do a little rant. I have to say something about politics. So I do these pieces for Tom Dispatch, which is a um, wonderful progressive syndicator. And so I write for them and they then put it in the nation and common dreams and counterpunch and salon picks up. And so it's, it's kind of satisfying, although it's clearly, it is clearly preaching to the choir. Although I want to say, interestingly, real clear politics has picked up over the last three or four months, two of my articles, two of these essays that I've written and published them on their site without snark, without making any comment. And it's really interesting, Greg, because, uh, you know, real clear politics, right? You know what it is. They, um, they provoke, you know, the articles provoke people, men. I'm, I'm only men. I'm only heard from men on the, on this, from, from when they've done this, you know, some of them just straight up, you know, email the C word in the subject line, the B word, you know, just calling me names. Others are actually kind of more polite, you know, well, I disagree with you. And here's why. Da -da 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 -da. And so the ones who do that, I started to, and even the ones with the C word I've actually re replied to, but I've replied to these other gentlemen and they are pretty nice. They're gentle. I mean, they're gentlemen and they, and it, what's interesting is after the, after I reply, some of them are like, oh, you replied to me. Thank you so much. You know, I'm, I'm really, you know, happy to hear from you. And we have had these conversations and I've had a couple, I have a couple of new pen pals who I think are in there. Now I will say that they say to me, they don't like Trump. Um, one of them is a pecan farmer in Oklahoma and another guy is a, a veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. And I can't remember where he lives, Michigan or something. And um, it's just kind of nice to have like conversations with people across the uh, divide because, you know, we have Trumpers all around here, especially I'm right up near Pennsylvania and you see their signs. Don't blame me. I voted for Trump. And you're driving by and you're like, what would you be blaming? What would anybody be blaming you for? Like, what's the problem right they now? They love their signage. They really, they like to announce themselves. They're, they're, they're like the, they're the political equivalent of Jennifer Aniston in office space where they just need more flair. I need my let's go Brandon hat. Just in case anyone isn't sure that I'm a complete asshole, I need to wear my let's go. Yeah. 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 I mean, it is true. Your your description today of the Republican ethos or the Republican person or whatever it was, is was so spot on, Greg. I mean, just read that line right now. It's, it's, it's if you can say it. I mean, it's absolutely true. You know, resentment. They resent smart people. I can't remember the rest of it. Oh, that part. Okay. I, I wasn't sure if you meant what I call them the, the the toxic burn pit of assholery was favorite line. But yes, that's a good line. But no, they they're contemptuous of kindness, mm -hmm. um, suspicious of intellectuals, and jealous of talent. Mm. Because you know that's one of the through lines of these people. Like it, it's become more and more obvious if you go and look at any of the backgrounds of these people, whether they're chaos, you know, the right wing chaos agents, or the politicians in many cases, especially the ones that just exist to troll, like your Ted Cruz's or your um, Lauren Boebert's or Marjorie 
Taylor Greens, they all wanted to be actors or comics or models or something. They wanted to be famous and they lack the talents and the charm. And, you know, Steve Bannon. Yeah, Steve Bannon. I first met Steve Bannon at CPAC in 2012 or something. And he was, you know, he had his long blonde hair and the triple shirt. And he was a, he was a hall, he was, he was a director or a producer. And he was giving a talk on, um, you know, how conservatives are mistreated and ignored in Hollywood. And I thought then, you know, what a loser. Oh God, you know, he, here he is, he's come to this event and he's going to, and every, and people flock to it. Oh, you know, Hollywood doesn't give us our due. And then come to find out he was there. He really did, you know, work with, he made money off of um, Seinfeld. Right. I forgot about that. Yeah. But he's exactly that. He is exactly that. He's angry, an angry man because he wasn't taken seriously. He was not talented enough. He had, he didn't obviously have a creative bone in his body. Although he shouldn't say that because creating fascism in America, I guess is, you know, he's tapped into something, but so he went down this, this road and, and it is in hundred percent related to his resentment. I feel like, yeah, I mean, these people just, LB has said this, this is her idea. So I want to give it, give her credit, but just give them a TV show. Like if we had just given them all a TV yes. show and just kept them on, just give them yes. a Netflix special, you know, maybe none of this would have happened, but. No, she's so right. And she lives in LA and she gets it and she yeah. gets the, you know, the, the, I could have been a star thing. That's all over LA. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's who they are. Fred Allen, the comic once said that Hollywood is where people from Iowa mistake each other for movie stars, which I think is a funny line. All right, I want to talk about your piece because your piece was really excellent. Um, your rant that you were talking about on the on the Tom's Dispatch. So the sort of the central thrust of it is just, it's just about misogyny writ large and how yeah. women are under attack clearly yeah. in this country. And there isn't, I'm not, I'm putting words in your mouth. This is my own slight spin on what you wrote. I want to go back through the points that you made individually, but there isn't this cohesive movement for there's no Black Lives Matter for women. There just isn't. And there never has been. I mean, the closest probably we got was the suffragette movement. No, I think I would disagree. I think that in the 60, late 60s, early 70s, there was a, a real wave, okay. a concerted wave. Our, my mother, you know, people who were not part of it were suddenly part of it. Yes, it was the, it was that version of, it, and you know, it was the Gloria Steinem, Bell Labs of, uh, Shirley Chisholm, 1972 Democratic National Convention. You know, women were just like, yeah, we get it. Betty Friedan's book. Yeah, we get it. Um, and it ch they changed everything. Um, they really did that and, and abortion legalized and, um, and contraception, the pill coming in in 1964. Those are the things that changed everything. But ever since then, it's been in um, sliced and diced. And as I say in my piece, the discussion of this is filled with political IEDs that I would rather not step on. Yeah. Um, but I do say that, you know, at the end of the piece, I do, I conclude it with the reference to the Pamela Paul piece in the New York Times. Pamela Paul was the book review editor, and I guess now she's writing op-eds. And she wrote this very controversial piece about the use of the word woman and how it's no longer you know, you can't say, you, you know, women are not 
all in one box, let's say. And and it has to do with the um, the transgender movement and trans women fighting with you know people like J.K. Rowling over whether or not they can be called women and the wholesale rush in publishing media, uh, progressive organizations to instantly and without discussion and without any kind of, you know, I think, I, you know, kind of concept of what was going to happen here have completely banished the idea that, you know, women are, there. there's one thing that women all have. They're born impregnable. And that is an unusual thing. That is not unusual. It's 50% of the population, but it is the thing that identifies you as a woman and a women's movement that no longer even will use the word women um, is, you know, in a pretty sad state. And I mean, this comes after many, many years of slicing and dicing and fighting over, well, white, hetero, uh, heterosexual, white, you know, wealthy women have been privileged, so they shouldn't be running these things. You know, they shouldn't be running now. You know, it, it, it's, you know, let's put uh, Linda Sarsour up on uh, on the Trump women. Um, oh, they're, sorry, the, the, the anti-Trump march, the, the, you know, the biggest women's march in my lifetime in Washington the day after he was inaugurated. You know, they had Linda Sarsour running it and they had, you know, labor union, you know, everybody had to be sliced, diced and involved except for the upper middle class white women of a certain age who were actually doing all the anti-Trump work in the suburbs and all over the country. And that's a fact. And you can look up Theta Scottpole's Harvard research on this. And they did it without, you know, raising their hands and saying, hey, we did this, you know, but they were, they were overlooked. And so what happens from that? It's, you know, it's a long, long slide down where into, you know, women don't have a singular, a movement to, to, to sort of cohere around, you know, it's, it's busted up into these different little groups. And honestly, Greg, honestly, it looks to me and feels to me like some kind of like, uh, you know, not a false flag. What's the word I'm looking op. for? It looks like, like an op. It's like an infiltration. Yeah. You know, there's an infiltration going on and I, I hate to sound paranoid, but I don't know how else you can explain the rapidity with which they have, you know, these, all of these organizations have just capitulated to this idea that, you know, we can't use the word woman anymore. And well, just because there are trans women who who insist that they are defined as be defined as women. Now I get the issue. Look, I'm not an anti, and that's the other thing that using the transphobe, you know, the the word transphobe is in, intensely insulting, and so is the the turf T E R F. What is it? Tra, um, transphobic radical feminist. They're insulting, and, and 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 I'm not that. I'm not that at all. You know, I get the. I think about what is it. What would it be like to be a trans woman or a trans man and have to go into the like wrong bathroom. I get that. That is, that's a big challenge. It's a big challenge for society to get society used to it. And, and it's a big challenge for people who are in that position. 
but to slice and dice and take down the women's movement the way it's been, and I'm not just blaming them because, I, as I said, this is many, many years in the making, on the left, has just turned out to be a fucking disaster. And I'm not, I mean, I, I say that with all, sorry to use profanity on your show. Oh, I know, please do. But it's been a fucking disaster, and I don't know how you repair it. I, you know, I don't know how you repair it because you have now, you know, this disparate, broken movement. And you have this, as I wrote in the piece, unchained, you know, junkyard dog hatred of women coming out of these guys in not just Louisiana, not just Mississippi, 25 states, half the country is going to be faced with these laws. And when you look at what the laws are and you look at how these men are talking about it and, you know, talk about people in, you know, Charlie Kirk is one of the examples I use. I mean, they just come right out and say like, what we can't stand are white working women or, you know, in respect with respect to the 10 year old rape victim, you've got the head of the pro-life, one of the heads of the pro-life movement in the, in the state of Indiana, which did miraculously give her an abortion mm -hmm. kid saying, well, we, we would hope that women would come around to understanding why it's a good thing to have had the child. And you're like, and you're talking about a 10-year-old who's going to go through intense physical trauma, who already was in, traumatized by rape. And you're asking that 10-year-old to come around to understanding why this was a good thing to give birth to a child. It's sickening. It's the kind of hypocritical shit that you hear if you went to one of their churches from the from the podium. They don't even have a moral compass left in them. They just listen to these this verbiage. Oh, she'll come around. A woman should come around and and accept that it's a good thing to have a child. Uh, so you know, there's that. the The level of I mean, it's actual sadism. The the what they're trying to do is take a fictional, uh, and, and I'm not kidding. I mean, I think, I think they watched, they either watched The Handmaid's Tale. I'm sure they didn't read it, but they either watched it or they get, you know, they get the idea and they're literally trying to make that happen in our country. I, I have no doubt that they're trying to make that happen. And, and Margaret Atwood's dystopic fic fiction of the 1980s, which I read, of course, in English, as an English major, uh, I I read it as a dystopic satire, really, on American on the on this sort of Christo-fascist theo theocratic anti-woman stuff that was bubbling around in the country already in the '80s. We knew it, but it was confined to pockets of lunacy in Louisiana, where I spent. You know, when I wrote this piece. I had in my mind a quote from one of the state legislators in Louisiana. I would say maybe 10 years ago when they were one of the trailblazers on, you know, abortion outlawed any way, any shape, any form. And if you were raped too bad, no, no exception for rape. And at that time, that was a pretty radical, crazy thing. Yeah. And the legislator said, well, they, he was asked, I think, by either somebody on the floor or a, or a journalist well, what would you do if your daughter was raped? Would you let her have an abortion or not? And he, he replied, uh, 
I might not know who the daddy is, but I sure as hell would know who the granddaddy is. So no, I wouldn't let her have an abortion. And I remembered that quote, and that's one that I have mentioned in articles I've written before about this. And I wanted so badly to find it and use it. And I couldn't find it just Googling around. I suppose a Nexus search would have dug it up. I don't, nobody in Louisiana could, could remember who it was because the reason you couldn't find it, if you know, as a researcher, is that so much other crazy shit like that has been pouring out. And, you know, not just in, uh, in, in Louisiana, yeah. but all over the place. So it's really hard to define to because it's now lost in the, you know, it's historical and it's not easily Googled up. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you have these people now in this, it, it, right now. Well, okay. So we thought that th those guys were, you know, confined to their pockets of backwardness and, you know, the, Todd Aiken, you know, rape prevents pregnancy. That was 2012, I think in Missouri. Um, running for office. He's not, he didn't win his seat. I don't think he's not, he's not in, in office. And uh, what was the other example? There's a tea party woman in Nevada who, who said of, in, of a child impregnated by her father, whether that child should have, have access to abortion. And she said, well, I would hope that she would understand that two wrongs don't make a right. So these were people who were bubbling up saying these things in 2010, 2012, 2014. And, you know, we were 40 years into Roe. It was legal. Uh, you know, there were problems. It was being challenged all the time. And these state legislators were, were inching their way to uh, where we are now. But I remember writing about those people and thinking, still, they're, they're, they're isolated incidents. They're, this is, you know, these people are under control. and. Now we know they were not, and they're not, there are 25 states where this is going to happen. And there are 25 states where people are going to be, women are going to be stopped if, if they, you know, if they get around this and they will get around the federal, I think the federal ban on this, they're going to be states where you can be stopped at the border if you're pregnant. I don't know what they're going to do to, you know, take a blood, take a test. You know, it is, it is the, it is Gilead truly. I want to talk about this more. We have to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Nina Burley. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. So when I graduated from college, you know, I wore the that mortarboard on my head and I was a wise guy. So I wrote on it, my brain is full. Ha ha ha, right? It was like a joke. It was actually from a Far Side comic, but I thought I was being very funny. Well, you know, fast forward 30 years, and my, my brain really does feel like it's full. My brain feels like it's overtaxed, and my psyche feels like it's under attack. I've talked about this on the pod. There's just there's so much bad stuff going on, so much really unbearable, negative, ugly stuff that it really eats away at, at one's psyche. I know it does for me. You know, it's, it can be depressing, and, it you know, we need to have our brains functional for this fight that we're in against the fascists. And uh, so what do we do? to protect our brains. What do we do? Well, what I did is BetterHelp because BetterHelp sponsored my show and I'm delighted that they're back sponsoring it again because when they did it the first time, I actually went and, and took advantage of it. I used my own promo code 
which is Greg G R E G, and uh, and I got my my discount, and it was it was great. And everything that they say that I'm about to read to you is true. It's online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat only therapy sessions. Uh, so you don't have to see anybody on camera if you don't want to. I used to do it in my car, just on the phone. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and it's it's quicker. You know, in-person therapy is great, but sometimes you don't have time. You don't have time to find somebody. People don't call back. You know, you you're, you find somebody and they're referred to you and then they're booked and you can't find an appointment. With BetterHelp, you're matched with the therapist in under 48 hours. And I can attest to that because it happened with me. The therapist that, that I saw was wonderful, um, really helped me a lot. Listeners of Prevail get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Greg. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Greg. BetterHelp. Start living a better life today. Okay, we're back with Nina Burley. I want to talk about all this stuff because I was thinking about this. Um, I really think that, or I thought wrongly, that we would be past the point where the fugitive slave law would like be relevant to my life in 2022. But alas, no. We have to think about Dred Scott, and we have to think about the fugitive slave law. And I wrote a piece about this a couple of weeks ago, but the difference between uh, that and the scenario you just described where theoretically uh, someone in Alabama could chase down a pregnant teenager for going to New York to have an abortion, there's no money in it. Like if it, the fugitive slave law, if you read the, the novel, um, The Underground Railroad, um, you know, there's a character named Ridgeway who's a slave catcher. And that's what he does. His job is to go find runaway slaves and return them to their owners. And it's really horrible and awful and unspeakably heinous. And I, it's hard to really to wrap my brain around how terrible this was and how recent it was, right? But Ridgeway, there was, there was financial incentive for him to do that because the Southern slaveholder, as terrible as it was, right? They're making money on the, from, on the slave labor. So if they don't have any more slaves, they're not going to make any more. So it, it behooves that plantation owner to pay this guy to do this. In the case of abortions, there's no financial incentive. In fact, the opposite is true. This is going to be cripplingly, cripplingly expensive. And if it goes to its conclusion, it's going to bankrupt all of these states because they're not going to have the money. First, you're going to have you know, abortion, relatively speaking, as a medical procedure is not expensive. Having a, a very complicated pregnancy is very expensive. So you're going to have that happening more often. You're going to have babies born and sent into the foster care system, into orphanages, which are already overtaxed. And, you know, everybody was making fun of that idiot couple with their will adopt your baby, and, and rightfully so. But there aren't that many people. And what's going to happen with all these kids? You know, are, are the Republicans going to pay for them? Because they've they've shown no willingness to pay for it. Well, we already know that they're not going to pay for them. I mean, Texas. They don't pay for, for example, shit. Texas is is um is one of the few states that won't pay for Medicare, Medicaid for poor, poor women in yeah. the year after they have their babies. So they actually don't care. It's like you have you have a child, you can go die with that kid. It's you know Dickensian shit. They don't care. Yeah, no, it, it's cruel. The point is cruelty, but um, just go back to your your point about it's not going to get them rich. Uh, they, that they're, you know, look, I mean, Texas already is putting, you know, they put out bounties, right? I mean, they've, you know, so maybe they'll start. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's just, this is just kind of like a, um, a show for their, you know, their supporters to make them, you know, outdo each other in, in being, 
rights for the rights of the preborn. Um, yeah, are these guys, you know, and gals, I guess, are they just trying to convince their supporters or their potential supporters that they're more fanatical than their opponent in order to win their primary election? I mean, Texas, Texas passed that law, you know? Um, so I don't know. I don't know if I agree that. I mean, I'm just, maybe I'm being Pollyanna-ish here, but it seems like a big fucking waste of money for zero gain. Yeah. And other, other than, unless you want to pay to be cruel to women, which they obviously they do, but there is a limit to how much money they can spend That's and right. probably yeah. a limit to like, if I'm a cop, I'm not going to want to do that. That's right. But I think just the fact that there's a law there and if you're like a, a poor kid, you know, sure. you got to go, you got to go over. And first of all, you know, we already know that it's affecting people who don't have cars and who don't have the money to leave a job to take five days off to go from Kentucky into Illinois. Right. They, we already know that's what's happening. So it is about money, Greg, but it's really about money that poor people don't have to access this. So they're going to produce more babies for, you know, this regime and, and, and for what? For There's what? zero zero responsible reason for it other than these guys just want their they want to spill their seed around these guys is you know elon musk and the people who the people who have the abortions that they're not going to be able to get abortions are mostly african-americans that's the statistic so i mean well what are they going to do i mean they're going to i i just you know it makes no sense other than it's a sop to this this section of the electorate that's become so important to those people. Honestly, when they seated Kavanaugh yeah. before they brought in the handmaid, honestly, I thought, yeah, he says he's pro-life or anti-abortion, but the real reason they want him and people like Gorsuch on the bench is for pro-corporate yeah. uh rulings that you and I are never going to pay attention to that have to do with like forced arbitration and, you know, ways that the corporations cannot be taxed and all these other things that you're just, they're, they're business related things that you and I aren't paying attention to that are going to keep the powerful in position and make them more powerful vis-a-vis -vis the powerless. So that's what I thought they were doing with the court. That's another th reason that I you know, I look, I wrote this piece and I think we weren't paying attention to certain, certain things that were going on in this country. Obviously, I guess I was in denial when they put the handmaid on, I thought, okay, yeah, they are going to try to go down that road, but honestly, they're really not going to do it because once they do it, they're not going to get that, you know, what is it? 20% of the population that's evangelical that goes to the polls a hundred percent. And the reason why the evangelicals have such an influence in the Republican party and in their government is that they vote a hundred percent of them. You know, you and I, our people vote 50%. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's a great big number of people who think like us, and there is a small number of people who are fanatical and who think the way they do, but because they are active, they've been activated by people like Bruce Reed and going back to Atwater and those guys that they, they went for these people. And so I thought, well, they're actually never going to give it to them because if they give it to them, then they're not going to vote anymore because they really aren't going to care. Like, okay, we saved those babies. 
now we can go back to, I don't know what they do. I don't know, have church suppers and, and, and then bullshit platitudes and let daddy rape their daughters and all the crap that goes on in the evangelical world. But they didn't, they went for it. And I kind of think now that I'm saying this, actually, I'm thinking it out loud. I kind of think that that explains this now race to the bottom to revile women because they don't really have anything else now to uh, energize the base with. Yeah. So got to go another couple, you know, it's like, who, how much further can we go? And this is going to make you feel so good because now we're going to make them stop at the border, even though it's incredibly expensive and ridiculous, or, you know, we're going to make sure that raped women have to produce those babies. And we're going to make sure that, uh, that women who need pregnancy uh, terminations because they're going to die should just die because the babies are more important than the live women. And so they're trying to race to this next level. And the next level is that, is that, um, you know, sex should only be about procreation because they want to get rid of birth control too and, and stuff like that. So yeah, I think you're right. I think you, they want to get rid of, yes. Okay. You're right. They're, They're right. It's going towards, they're going to go after gay marriage and they're going to go after birth control. Yeah. But honestly, okay, maybe they'll get, maybe they'll go down that road, honestly, and make it that we already have the problem of not being, you know, insurance is not, I mean, these companies are not forced to cover birth control for women, right? That was Hobby Lobby. Yeah. That was the decision, you know, so fucking outrageous. And that was already, it wasn't back in 2014 or something. Socially, oh, socially irresponsible uh, in a, in a dramatic way. I mean, for every reason. Just- it's not just socially irresponsible. It is directly aimed at work, working women. Yeah. It is directly aimed at women and putting them back in to a situation of utter dependence on men. And this is the other point that I make in the article, which is why the women of Gloria Steinem and our mothers, our grandmother's generations are so important and so overlooked now because we got used to it, is that after the pill came in in 64 and then abortion legalized in what, 71, something like that, uh, that changed everything at the most intimate level of the power relations between men and women in in the it's the biggest change in the history of human beings because at that point for the first time ever in human history women were enabled to say i don't think i'm going to have that baby i don't think i'm going to get if i fuck you i'm not going to get pregnant and i'm just not going to pick you to have a baby, but I might pick that guy. So, and maybe I'll never have babies or maybe I'll have babies later and I'm going to go to work and I'm going to go to school. And you are, you saw this in the, in the statistics, right? In the statistics, you see now more women are in college and the men and women are working at jobs at about the equal, an, an equal number of women are working working as men are. They've entered the labor force, meaning that women are no longer utterly, utterly economically dependent on men as they had been up until this happened. They potentially had been up until this happened, right? Until birth control and abortion came in. That's a huge, monumental, grave, and serious change. It changed the way that young people interact with each other sexually and socially 
And you can, again, you see that the colleges are filled with women, more women than men. And this was a rapid change. But people like me who came of age after this, we didn't recognize it like that as a change. We were just like, yeah, okay, that's how it is, right? It makes perfect sense. Why should I have to have, you don't have to bear, bear a kid if you don't want it. Why should I have to do it? I'm going to pick you. I want that cute boy. I don't want that big oaf over there. I'm going to pick that guy to have a baby with. And it just made perfect sense. And I want to go to work and I want to make my own living because I don't want to be beholden to you. So those options came in and, you know, you, me, most people, many people were like, okay, okay, it makes perfect sense. But there was this, I would say a minority, maybe I'm wrong, maybe a majority. And there are like lots of men that think this, but don't say it. But I honestly think there is a minority of men in this country and over the world, all over the world, because that's what ISIS is all over the world that where you just can't give up the eons long primal primeval right to control the female. And we're in this now new world. And these guys were sitting there and they've been, as I say in the article, it's like chained behind a fence, pissed off, you know, growling, surly, but not able to do anything about it until Donald Trump got elected. And he got elected actually on that platform, which was grab them by the pussy, which was hot women who are, we, we define sex, sexy women by Hooters and Melania and uh, women who can't walk across the room because they're wearing these shoes, the fuck me shoes. And they are, you know, you're defined by whether you could be in a strip joint or not. And that became, you know, that called these guys out. That's the dog whistle. But also they just cut the fence. They cut the chain link fence and let them out because he got away with it. And all of a sudden you saw mini Trumps all over the country, which you're still seeing at these lower levels. It's all over the place. Yeah. There is an infection in places like Michigan. I mean, I, I'm just saying Michigan because I was out there last summer doing a story about the um, the gang. Wolverines. The Wolverines who tried to uh, kid or plotted to kidnap the, the female governor. And, the, you know, female governor, Michigan's like a Nordic state. Female governor, female AG, female secretary of state. Top level, all female. These guys are just seething mad, you know? Yeah. They didn't focus on any other left-wing leader in Michigan. I'm sure there are some, male. They focused their attention entirely on this woman. It pissed them off so much that she could tell them, hey, I'm in charge. It's COVID time. Stay home. They wanted to kill her. And they can't stand that these women have power because it goes right back to this very primeval response to a change that happened because of technology and also i must say technology and medical medical technology because that's what the pill is but also because of the efforts of these women who are now you know gray heads or um you know off into the great beyond who uh who did this you know who stood up and said no we're not going to we're not going to do that anymore. We're we're going to divorce you, or we're we're going to we want jobs. You know, we're going to and they were and they were together, and they they and they were faced with incredible scorn, ridicule, at the top levels of media. I mean, if you look at the one of the things I recommend your listeners to watch, go to Google or go to YouTube and look up Town Hall Norman Mailer, Jermaine Greer. Just 
just watch it. It's it's an artifact of of sexism from 1971 that is first of all it's so unbelievable that the way they, that he's talking to them and the way that the audience was responding. Well, shouldn't you guys be home? At, we haven't we don't get it? Like, shouldn't I mean the audience like feels like shouldn't you be home like having cooking dinner and stuff? Like, what do you? But also, it's it's an artifact. But also, you watch it and you're like, oh my god! But we're still having this conversation. We're still having this conversation yeah. about this. And it's not always, it's not responded to the way it is. If you also, I recommend your your listeners to watch their films about the 1972 Democratic National Convention down in Miami. I think it was Miami, where you had Shirley Chisholm run and you had Gloria Steinem down there and Bella Abzug. And they were like, you're putting us on the committees. You're putting us on the planks. You know, our planks, We our, our, our issues are on your plank. And, and they were, you know, out there, marching around and talking to the press and you had these anchors, you know, I don't remember if it was Dan Rather, people were older than him, but you know, these anchors and they were just like snickering at them openly. They couldn't take them seriously. Oh my God, they're so ridiculous. Oh, look at those silly women. Look what they're doing. And they forced the democratic party to, to bend to their will in some way and do some of these things, but hardly enough, hardly all of it. You know, Chisholm didn't go very far, but um, so, you know, they really, really are not, they've not, I mean, we, of course we gave them their due. And of course there's the National Women's Day and Gloria Steinem's a great hero and maybe he's going to be on a coin someday or something, but it's not, it's not um, fully accepted that what they ushered in, they and the pill uh, and legalized abortion was absolute earthquake in domestic intimate relations between men and women all over the world. I mean, because it's true all over the world that there was this movement and that, you know, the pill did this and then abortion legalizing in, in, I guess, in the Western world, but, but also in the Middle East and in other places, because those places, you know, I mean, that's the rise of ISIS. Part of it is responding to imperialism in Saudi Arabia and so on. But, but part of it is, not Saudi Arabia, because actually Saudis were behind them, but they but they were looking at the West and looking at what was going on with women. And they were like, uh-uh, that's not coming here. We are not giving up our chattel. We're not giving up our reproductive cattle, our bovines, you know, our home, our home. And these then they didn't. They fought it and they didn't. And I somebody the other day was trying to tell me, you know, don't you think that like some of this response, these Trumpers, this anti-woman stuff, that crazy fanatical um, autocratic women-hating shit. Don't you think that maybe it's because they became aware of ISIS, these guys? And you know, you do see like Donnie Jr. with the beard and Ted Cruz because they need to be mm. more manly. I mean, Donnie just reminds me of Ahmadina Jad so much. The, the guy. <laughs> he does. Um, he does. Now that you say, <laughs> he just looks like him. Oh, with his beard. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe they saw because they got to see like, oh, they're manly men, and they chop off heads, but also they can like make women into sex slaves. And I bet they're like a whole bunch of American men were like, that sounds like a very good idea, actually. That that's probably true. There's a lot of guys that I remember. I looked into this at one point I was reading about, even in that world, in the world of ISIS who were uncomfortable. And I, I feel like, you know, what you just said before about 
suddenly the, the, it's it's a it's a tectonic shift in the relations between men and women um men and women i should say in the conventional pre now term of yes cis men and women let's say but where's the like there's ripple effects for men too right and it's interesting josh Hawley has this book out called manhood which is funny inherently and it's i think I, I don't know is that cover real where it's like the guy wrestling the bull i mean it's ridiculous well it's like tucker it's like tucker's thing yeah right where he's trying to like illuminate it's very yeah. strange but you know there is a ripple effect of how to be because the, the norman mailers and whoever else for centuries and centuries and centuries since we you know men dragged women out of caves by their hair when you believe that that kind of thing the gender roles were what they were and now suddenly they're not and how yeah. do you you know it makes perfect sense to anybody my age to say well of course we want women to do all these things women are great they're smart they're talented why yeah. would we why would we as a society want to take half of all available talent and just be like nah, you know you're a pretty good talented person but why don't you just go make dinner you know, why would we want to do that? Diversity is the key to the thriving of any society, any modern, any ancient society. You know, the, the, the most powerful societies historically are the ones that were the most diverse. And right. when you have the golden age of whatever it is, right. it's the golden age because that was the time when they weren't trying to kill everybody who wasn't like that. I just came from Spain. I did a piece yeah. for the Times. It's not out yet on Moorish Spain. And mm -hmm. the 8th and 9th and 10th centuries were this golden age of Jews, Christians, Muslims living together, translating ancient texts, studying mathematics, you know, and so on and so forth. It's really true. And then, then they had, you know, a revolution coming or a uh, uh, fanatical religious order coming up from North Africa who were like, no, get these, get these non-Muslims out of here. And then you had the Christians coming down from the North. Oh, we think we'll have the Inquisition. You guys can leave all you Jews out, Muslims out. So, you know, but uh, I do want to say one thing, Greg, because I think what you just said about, you know, men and how it affected men, I don't want anything that I'm saying here to, to I guess, well, I, I, you know, I, it's hard for men. I mean, it was hard for men and it's hard for men now. It's even harder with the Me Too to know like what to do and how do you even have sex and all these things that have like, in you know that have spawned out of this reversal or shift yeah uh, has made it very made i'm not under, i don't want to underestimate that you know these are difficult things for people i'm not i'm not justifying it by any means i'm just no i know you're not and I, but i just i do think and i do th and there's a backlash i mean somebody was telling me i don't think you kind of see it like if you listen to um red scare or you know the the like the like friends of what's his name what's his name mold bug uh teal's teal's guy teal's okay. intellectual guy mencius mold bug and his super fans are these girls who have a have a podcast called red scare and they're cool they're hip you know 40 30 40 somethings and they live downtown in new york and they there's a whole scene that this like been written up recently because people can't resist like oh a new hip conservative movement and they're totally into you know hardcore Catholicism and, but they're making it cool, you know, and they're into like BDSM and like spit on me and, you know, hurt me. And, and, you know, so there's this thing like, 
with women where younger women are like, yeah, well, maybe we need to go back to that, you know, like, or at least sexually, like it's hard for people to work all this out. Like, what is it? And, and also, so you see these, you know, this, these, you got to listen to it. I mean, it's, it's like giggly fascism. Ooh, that's, that's a blurb right there. Really fascinating. Yeah. Just listen to them one, one or two of their, um, I drive a lot. So I'm you now, cause I'm up in the country and uh, I got sick of it. I did, I listened to it one, you know, one afternoon and, it, but it's fascinating. You know, but you're, you know, you're onto something because I think it is a mishmash. I'm getting now, you know, human sexuality is super complicated and always has been, but there were these, um, because society said, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this, and that remained unchanged for such a long time. One knew, for example, if you're a guy, you knew, okay, my job, my role societally is to initiate the, yes. you know, the, the talk. I'm supposed to be the one that makes the conversation, that asks somebody out, that pays for the day, like all that stuff. Yep. So, you know, even by the time I was born in 72, by the, by the 90s, when I'm like in college and stuff, all of that is confused already, right. where it's right. like, okay, I, I'm, I think I'm supposed to do that, but maybe I'm not supposed to do that. Yep. Maybe some, maybe yep. I'm supposed to wait. Maybe I'm, da, da, da. it's easier to wait. Yep. And, uh, you know, so how does that all manifest? And these are, these are dumb, simple things, but. But they were affecting you. You're a progressive and you're not from the evangelical community. Right. And you're not from a place where you were going to have, you know, a, um, a human chattel. You weren't looking for that, but even, you know, even in, in your community, it was like, well, what are you supposed to do? So. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's confusing. And there are ways to like, there are traits, I guess, that are traditionally thought of as masculine that are good traits to have. Yep. And that, you know, I, I feel like when Holly is chirping about this, what he's tapping into is that mm-hmm. he's tapping into this fear that what men, traditional, whatever you want to call it, cis men, the traits associated with, okay, bring to the table are now at, at, in Holly's sort of this fear mongering at risk of being yep. devalued, you know, and uh, there's, but most of it is myth, myth anyway, you know, a lot of it is just, it's always been bullshit. Like with those ISIS guys, you know, they're like, oh, we can have, we can have these women that are our sex slaves. Well, you can't because you feel weird about it because you're, you know, it's 2020 or whatever year it is. And also yeah. like, you know, can, are you really going to do that? You have the stamina to do that, buddy? Cause you probably don't. And if right. you don't, they will laugh at you, even behind the, the thing. You can put a veil on them, but behind the veil, they're laughing at you. <laughs> In the room. Yeah. And uh, and how does that make you feel? Would you rather only have one person who doesn't have someone else to look at and giggle? You know, these are all things that are real. They're real. They're, they're, I, you know, I, I stayed in an Airbnb last summer and they had a bunch of books and they had a book there called Taliban, which I, it was a picture book. Okay. And it was, did I tell you about this? I feel like I'm having deja vu now. Okay. In this book is just pictures of these Taliban guys early on. After the, the Taliban took over, they got rid of all photography, right? But they decided that they needed photos for passports and stuff like that. Mm. So there were a couple places that were allowed to remain open who would take pictures for passports. And this was a guy who took the pictures of these fighters with their guns and all this stuff. In, in Raqqa or Mosul. I think it was in Mosul, yeah. Yeah. But they're all decked out. They have eyeshadow on, they have like rouge and all this stuff. And they're, you know, they're glamming it up for the, wow. and it's, you look at it, you're like, what the fuck is this? What am I looking at? And, wow. and they left the pictures there and then they went off and probably all these people are dead, which is also like, there's one, the guy has a gun with a flower in it, you know, and his hair is all, it's, it's crazy, but it's like, 
even there, we tend to think of that, you know, very repressive stuff. It's everybody's human. Everybody has their, oh yeah, their their complexities and their paradoxes. Yeah, and none of it really makes sense. So uh, anyway, that was that was a really trippy book. Oh, I gotta I'm gonna look that up. I forget who who put it together, but it, you know, it's like twenty pages long. It's a little sliver of a of a thing. Mm. But uh, now let's get back to something we were talking about at the beginning because you were talking about. Um, and we didn't get back to it, the splintering of the women's rights movement or the women's movement or women in general or whatever word you want to use for. Mm -hmm. You write in your piece, advocacy, this is a quote, advocacy solely for women is always easier to defeat than advocacy for issues that also involve men. And Mm -hmm. I think that's true. And I think that with that, the idea of infiltration and weaponizing certain forces within movement is something that, you know, we'll just call them the bad guys are, are, are going to do, you know, mm-hmm. whether people are in these movements and are themselves chaos agents or whether they believe what they believe, it's almost irrelevant mm-hmm. because if they're being amplified on Twitter or on social media mm-hmm. to create divisions where maybe there aren't as many divisions as there are, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, what you were talking about before, I understand that with the, you know, the, the, there's cis women who have uteruses as you write in the, and then mm-hmm. there's trans women who do not, but you know, trans men do. So it's all of this stuff is complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and that's to me when I look at the what you were saying about turf and the, all of that stuff, it seems to me that are there really that many people vocally who care this much about it? And maybe there are, you know, but I don't know that there that there are. It it it, it mm-hmm. strikes me as something that's being amplified. Mm-hmm. And again. You know, the trans stuff is really important. And in my opinion, the trans community, trans women, trans men are the most vulnerable members of our currency and therefore should be protected more, not less, more than any other group right now. Because Mm -hmm. that's what ultimately the role of government, certainly the federal government and society should be to protect the vulnerable. That's Mm -hmm. what we as a society should do. And that's what we should be judged for. So from that standpoint, protection is absolutely vital mm-hmm. but it's also important to you know to have this women's rights matter mm-hmm. you said about in the 70s that that there was the wave but i don't think that the wave contained that many men the black lives matter was important nope. because it, a lot of white people participated exactly in it. if white people didn't participate in it nobody would have it would have you know so what we need here now is for men to participate in yep. this movement I've been trying to, on the show and in the writing, couch all of the abortion stuff as fascism and that it's not just a women's rights issue. It's a, it's a democracy issue. Taking mm-hmm. rights away from half the population means mm-hmm. they're taking rights away from all of us. And that is how we should approach it. That mm-hmm. and the whole medical issue. Mm-hmm. Why, why would we, like getting rid of abortion, criminalizing abortion is no different fundamentally than criminalizing chemotherapy. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it is a thing that medical professionals use to save people's lives. So that's what it is. Well said. And the, the I mean, fiction. I credit, the AMA, the doctors are out they're out on this. Yeah, they are. They're like, yeah, we, this is bad, bad news. You can't politicize this stuff. However, as I write in the piece, the AMA is as about as influential or less influential than the ABA, the American Bar Association was when it was branding or what's the word, deciding that most of Donald Trump's judicial nominees were unqualified. They, 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 they deemed them unqualified officially. 
And yeah. it didn't matter. They're all on the bench, including the woman who said, rip the mask off if you're on an airplane right now down in Tampa. She's like 30 years old. She's never even been in a trial. Um, those are unqualified. ABA and the AMA. And, and you know, for the AMA, it's like, well, what if, you know, really you have influence if with a population where half the people think that, or not half, but what, a third, a large percentage of people think that um, Bill Gates made uh, tracking chips for the vaccine that's protecting you from COVID. Oh my something. God, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, so the, so the doctors, you know, the, the death of the death of expertise, that's a whole other show. Right, right, yeah. But, but those guys aren't gonna be able to save us. Um, so yeah, I mean, men have to get involved and, um, you know, there's a part of me, I've covered politics, you know, for a really long time and I've watched grassroots and astroturf, you know, the difference between astroturf and grassroots and the uses of movements and messages and so on for many, many years. And I, I always thought it was really weird that that whole bathroom thing came up in 2014, right before the midterms in uh, North Carolina. Um, like really did it have to be that moment that they ran, you know, they, people ran with that. I don't know. I just thought it was weird. And that, you know, the right wing. It's a perfect, it's a perfect thing for the right wing to use because people don't understand if, if you don't, if you don't know trans people, you don't understand. It doesn't right. make sense. But I just think there are th certain things happening on the left that are, they're so naive and short-sighted in terms of like how they're going to get to their gains, what they want, that um, it's so naive about politics and that, um, you know, they're just easily led and, and, and easily just co-opted and they do stupid things. And, you know, like just an example in the Democratic Party right now, Manchin, right? Okay, so he finally, finally got him on board with something. Right. Right. And how did they do that? Well, they let him, you know, they gave him something. And I mean, that's what you do in politics. It's disgusting. It's watching the sausage made. Democracy is not pretty. You don't, you know, but what they what they don't do is like they're purists. And they, what they needed to do was go here. Schumer is so bad at this. So get somebody with some muscle. Yeah. And get in there and go, look, we know who you are and we know what you're doing. How much do your donors need to make? What's the number? Go back to them and tell us what they want. Okay, they want, you know, they want to make billions in profits like Chevron did. They want actually 11 billion. They can live with 11 billion. So then you come back and you say they want that. And then they say, okay, so we're going to give them this tax break and we're going to give them that tax break. And we're going to make sure they get to keep that mine open or they can drill the shit out of Appalachia or whatever. In exchange, Joe, you're giving them all that. You're going to come over here and you're going to vote for this climate thing. They should have done that in the first on the first day, you know, yeah. and that's what, that's what smart politics is. And I'm sorry, it's ugly. It's disgusting. AOC and those guys would not like it. They don't play the game that way. But, you know, if AOC stays in there long enough, she might, you know, now, unfortunately, Pelosi and, you know, Schumer, they're ancient and they're, you know, she's, she's good, but she's also kind of on the wrong side on a lot of things. And, and Schumer is just ineffectual. But, but more than that, it's like their base wouldn't like let them do that. Like, you know, they have to be shown that they're doing this pure thing, even though they're like fucking us over left and right and, you know, preferring to 
pay attention to Ukraine instead of what's going on here. I, I just, I can't stand it. I, this is the fact that she's in, in Taiwan just drives me nuts. I care less about that stuff right now. That it, it's, it's an absolute outrage that she's over there. She should be here. They should be focused on arresting these fuckers from 1-6 and making sure that Donald Trump and his people don't get away with this. They, have, they haven't done that. And now they're over there and, you know, let's just like make sure the Chinese aren't. Yeah, I don't mind that she's there because I think that the farther she is personally from the J6 thing, the more effective the J6 is. <laughs> okay. We talked about it. LB talked about it. And I, when, when, we, when we first uh, did the five, that's no, interesting. That's an interesting. You turn theory. that thing on and you watch it and you're like, I don't know who Benny Thompson is. I've never heard him talk. Before. Right. He opens his mouth. He sounds a little bit like Morgan Freeman. He's got that very, you know. Yeah. 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 Voice of authority kind of thing going. Oroton Southern voice. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. uh, and Liz Cheney, you know, we can say what you will about Liz Cheney. She's yep. very, very good on that. I mean, she sat, she's, perfect on that committee yeah. no and you right. look you look up and down other than Schiff who's somebody that they go after but he's not talked to her on yeah. the committee all of yep. the other people are relatively new to people who are watching and mm -hmm. if Pelosi was there mm -hmm. that's all that Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity would talk yeah about. that's so, right so yeah. okay. I, I'd rather just that she just hang out in San Francisco with her grandchildren for a while <laughs> whatever anyway I got one I got one more question okay last time you were here we said we should just do a whole show and talk about like books. And my last question is, have you been, have you, are you even able to read at all? Because I have trouble sometimes. I read all the time. I'm obsessed you do. with okay. reading. Oh my God, I'm reading such good stuff. I just finished Costa Alegre uh, about the Peggy Guggenheim, um, Peggy's daughter, uh, Guggenheim. And uh, this weird sort of art, art scene in um, Mexico that somebody said somebody suggested it to me because I wrote about Timothy Leary's LSD community in Mexico. And so that's what Costa Alegre. I just finished um Jeff Dyer's book about oh, what's it called? Um The Last Days of Roger Federer. You know, it could have used a better edit. There's a lot of stuff about tennis that I don't care about, but there's also a lot of stuff about writers in their last years that's really interesting. Skip over the boring parts, but it needed an edit, but it's damn good. Uh, what else did I just read? I'm in the middle of Carolyn Forche's um, memoir. Carolyn Forche is an American poet who went to El Salvador in the 70s with this mystery man who just showed up at her California house one day and said, I, I know you're a great poet and we need you down and I want to show you my country. And it was right as the death squads were starting to kick in. And she went down there as a poet and took notes. She was basically acting as a journalist, but she was, she kept saying, I'm not a journalist. And she finally wrote this book about from the notebooks that she kept. And it's mind blowing what the, the level of the satanic evil that was happening down there in our, when we were kids and what happened to those people. And then I just read D.H. Lawrence's based because what's his name? Uh, Dyer is so into D.H. Lawrence. And I read um, his, he's got a book of essays about American literature and also just about his travels. He's, he's a fun read, even though he was kind of a freak. And, um, and now I'm reading Ivana Lowell, who is the daughter of Caroline Blackwood and Robert Lowell, Lowell the poet, um, reading her memoir about growing up with, with this great manic depressive American poet. And so, yes, I'm reading Greg, I'm reading all the time. I've got a Kindle. 
I hate to give an advertisement for um, Jeff Bezos's products, but as a writer and, and I do produce books, I feel like it's such a great thing to have because my shoulders don't hurt and I can carry around like 10 books at a time. That's and true. When you I'm travel, big, especially. I'm a big fan of electronic. Although I did st- I have stopped buying because I finally found Libby. You know, Libby is terrific. Everybody in this listening to this who likes to read should go download the Libby app and you can get your local library and, or NYPL, which is what I'm using. And you don't have to buy the electronic books anymore. You can just have them for 21 days and you don't get late fees because they automatically take it back after 21 days. So you're not ever going to be dinged. So it's a terrific app. So I'm reading all that. That's a long answer to your question. That's good. That's what I wanted. I wanted a long answer to to delay (laughs) you going to have your dinner. And uh, <laughs> I haven't read anything. I, it, it's hard for me. I want to know what you're reading. You're such a terrific writer, right? I know you're reading all Thank the time. You. I am. I, I, it's hard for me to focus, man. It's really? so hard. Oh, my God. I have such. Oh, because I, your work is you're so productive. You're I so guess. Productive. I don't know. I try to, to read. And also, I, I, I'm getting progressive lenses. Like, I can't see very well. And I think I'm, I, they're not here yet. I have another week. And I think when I get them, it's going to really make everything, you know, it's going to change quite a bit. I'm reading a book now um, by Misha Glennie about the fall of Yugoslavia, which is actually very fascinating. Yeah, I know that book. And Mm well-written. Yeah. I read a novel when I was on vacation called, which is, this is no, you know, underground thing, the All the Light You Cannot See. Oh, yeah. uh, Which was wonderful. Everyone Um, always read that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not not generally. One of my kids gave it to me, so I felt obligated to read it. It was very good and well done. It's a little was a little bit too or i don't know there's a word for it well he's uh, i think isn't the writer a, a son of a the son of a pastor isn't that that book it's a it's about a cancer victim it could be yeah yeah he's, yeah. he's pretty prolific but um yeah, yeah yeah he's he is very prolific i met him once yeah he came, weirdly he came to our town here he lives in idaho which is interesting yeah, yeah. So I'm reading that. And then, you know, I, I wrote about that, uh, about Marie Ponso and, and the poetry book. And I really, I, sometimes I, I liked if I'm really frazzled a poem, because yep. it, it does help ground me. And it's not, you know, you can read a, a, a poem. I, I recommend <laughs> reading, that. I recommend reading a poem before you open your phone in the morning. That's, an, that's another way that I'm getting up in the morning. I'm like, mm, not this, not this first thing. Nope. No, no, I have no, no. Books that I read on my, you know, and, and the longer I wait before I open it, the better I feel. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that that's true. But um, I have to do Wordle in the morning. I have my routine. I can't. I know, <laughs> I and you're so it. prolific, and you're just an amazing writer, and I'm a huge fan. Well, thank you, so. thank you. I appreciate that. You're, you're no slouch yourself. You know, you, th- this piece is really good, and I, I hope thank people you. go read it. I'll post the link to it in the show notes. And um, I haven't even mentioned the book that you wrote, which is called Virus, Vaccinations, oh. the CDC, and the Hijacking of America's Response to the Pandemic. It's coming out in paperback with a new chapter, like now. Oh, okay. Well, there you so go. There's a, new, there's a new, yeah, it's all, my new chapter is all about uncertainty and why, you know, conspiracy theories were weaponized and what is going on with, you know, how people have, have used science is based on uncertainty right and how people how these foes of chaos agents and the foes of of um of science use that as a way to because the human brain really is not again you know the primal primeval brain there's a great quote who put that quote up today 
Did you see that? Oh Which my one? God. It's about, God, I, I think I retweeted it. Uh, let me think. It's um, somebody saying we have the technology of the gods, medieval institutions, and paleolithic emotions. I said it in the Oh, room. that's good. That's good. That gave me a little chill right there. Okay. It's not Noam Chomsky, but it's somebody like that. Okay. And I'm not sure, but I, it, it's somebody tweeted that. It's a quote from somebody. And, and okay. absolutely think about it all the time. I mean, we have genetic science and we have, you can get your heart remade and, you know, and, and then you have people who are like, no, no, no. And the ISS, which by the way, there's a, there's an app. Did you know there's an app that you can be outside at night and there you, you go, Oh, that's the ISS going to buy. And it's, it's speeding through the sky. It's so fucking cool to look at. I did not know that, but the, the, those pictures too, the NASA pictures from that new telescope. Were pretty I cool. know that's a couple of weeks ago, but those that's no, the technology of the gods and the brains of or the emotions of monkeys. Yeah, We're that's pretty much it. We, we have, I'm in this wonderful car that does all these things. I still get enraged when people don't like stop for the correct amount of time at the stop sign. So, you know, that's it. That's life. You know, that's life here in the suburbs. Okay, so you're on Twitter at Nina Burley, B-U-R-L-E-I-G-H. That's right. Pronounced Burley, not Burley. Yes, I know how to, I know how to I know you do. I actually put it on my Twitter for a while because it was every every time i get on a podcast or on tv they're like it's nina burley like yeah. no it's burley like a football player yeah yeah it, it, it's kind of a funny name for you um it funny name. it's totally funny and it's not i don't have any of those qualities my my on the anglo it's the anglo-saxon or anglo-irish side of the family and they're like big saxon people and i don't have any of it i have tiny little tiny little featherweight Names are names. Names are weird. That's right. Um, okay, go have your dinner. Thanks so much for joining me and uh, enjoy the rest of the summer. You too, Greg. Keep up the good work, man. Ciao. The Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fassa. Sophia Tereshenko provided the Russian introduction. Voice talent is provided by Tally Briggs, Signet Della, Stephanie St. John, Brett Petticord, Ryan Byrne at History Falls Apart, and me. Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hawkey, Kenai Williams, and everyone else at MSW Media. Please subscribe to the Prevail website with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $5 monthly subscription funds the site and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Don't forget to tip your server. Until next time, we shall prevail. W.